Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to a special episode of London is Blue podcast. Always special, Nick, where we can bring our friend Nazar Kinsella from Goal, Naz, onto the show. Not once, but twice in a week period, it's just like these Premier League matches, you know? Fast and furious, back-to-back. Uh, no muscle injuries that to worry about right now. We're good. We're clear. We don't have to worry about that. Well, so far, so good, but I'm not ruling it out. I, we still got a long way to go. So, uh, yeah, we'll <laughs> watch this space. <laughs> well, Nick, what, what do you think would be a good topic to chat about with Naz here. I think there's a couple of things maybe we want to get into. Primarily looking ahead, I think, <laughs> would, would, be, would be better than looking uh, in the past, especially after a cup final loss. So I think I think transfers seem like a reasonable thing uh, to talk about because that's what everyone's kind of talking about. And, you know, I, I guess the first thing I want to talk about, Naz, is the, is the window this year because I know it's a, it's a different, more extended type of window is it really October now that is kind of like the final straw for the for the transfer window? Yeah, 5th of October it ends. So um, I think that everyone's getting a little bit frustrated with Chelsea's inactivity. I mean, they've only done two deals in talks for another one. I mean, <laughs> barely any other clubs have even signed a player. So I think a lot of Chelsea fans are quite frustrated with the lack of movement. <laughs> um, and yeah, we've gotten to October though, so maybe we can just eke it out a little bit. Um, it's going to be a little bit strange in that the season restarts on the 12th of September and we're going to have three weeks of football before the transfer window closes. It's a bit old school. That's what used to happen 
uh, in English football. We took it away in the last two seasons and now it's back. So um, small clubs are going to be really freaking out on October the 5th because they might lose their star players. So, uh, yeah, but I think that for Chelsea, it's looking like a, a well, well-positioned market, a strong market. And I think that the excitement is through the roof. And as I think that the two interesting things to me about this market, one is, you know, obviously there's the economic situation with COVID and a lot of uncertainty with, you know, match day revenue for a lot of these squads, you know, which play a big part in what they're able to do to help fund their transfers and FPP being relaxed or potentially relevant, depending upon who you talk to or what your legal view is or interpretation is of the Man City ruling. Um, And then, you know, the the loan changes that were going to go into effect too, where the amount of players being loaned out by a side were going to to kind of maybe affect, you know, clubs like Chelsea, where maybe we need to start selling more versus loaning out players. How do you think those two elements are going to impact what Chelsea is kind of capable of doing in this window? Yeah, I think think Chelsea were ready to stop loaning as many players as they do um, until this happened. But I think actually it's quite a, a good move. And I think that the general move from the authorities is to relax regulations because some clubs will be affected in one direction and some clubs will be affected in another direction. And we can't really predict what's going to happen. So that's what what's gone on really with the FIFA uh, ruling and, and financial fair play has been um, parked for a season. So they're going to assess financial fair play over two seasons uh, instead of one. You know, this is, this is how it works. So there still will be financial fair play, but say Chelsea spend loads this summer, they can kind of make it back next summer and get, have a bit of time uh, to do that. So that's how it works. But obviously the Man City thing, a lot of people are saying is the death of financial fair play. So that's another uh, factor. So yeah, we don't know what's going to go on there with Man City and, and, and financial fair play. But um, yeah, it's a bit of chaos really, let's be honest. And and I think that the good thing for Chelsea and other big clubs is that if they want to, they can really try and dominate this market. I think that... Um, you know, Chelsea also had the transfer ban last summer. So that means that there's a lot more funds in the kitty. Uh, I think Chelsea were always planning on spending this summer. It didn't really matter with, you know, COVID that nobody predicted. Chelsea wanted to spend their money. They sold Eden Hazard. The Alvaro Morata money is coming in, which is not an insignificant amount of money. I mean, Chelsea got more money for Morata than they paid for Timo Werner. Think about that. Brilliant piece of business there. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so Chelsea have got uh, all these kind of dynamics going on and, and it's going to be a big summer. And I think that we can all see, you know, the cup final result and, um, you know, finishing fourth and kind of limping over the line to a certain extent um, shows that, um, you know, if Chelsea really want to be back at the top, which they do, they need to spend. And that's what's going to happen. You bring up an ex- interesting point around financial fair play. And it's something I heard on the, on the Guardian podcast um, not too long ago uh, when they were talking about the city ruling, which is, Financial fair play was obviously instituted for some of these larger clubs to not get into such significant amounts of debt that they can claw themselves out of it, right? And so, obviously, when you have uh, state-sponsored football, that won't happen. So, if you're Man City, there's always more money where the previous money came from. But I think the impact on the teams that are kind of in that second, third, fourth tier is pretty significant, right? Because if, if dominoes are allowed to fall at the top, that will cascade cash all the way down the system, uh, potentially, right? Because you're going to have players who are bought and sold, bought and sold, bought and sold. If no one's able to buy or sell, that's a really, you know, I think, as you said earlier um, on in, in the COVID pandemic crisis pod that we put out, that's a bad situation for English football uh, as a whole, right? Because you're going to see teams go into administration and a lot of financial problems. So 
I think that's part of the rationale uh, is that you just need to see cash start to be injected back into the market. Um, but I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on that, Naz. Yeah, I think that probably the Nathan Ake deal shows you how the football ecosystem works. So Man City have just agreed a forty million pound fee with um, you know Bournemouth, uh, an extra million in add-ons, um, and Bournemouth are desperate to sell. They've got COVID to deal with. They've got relegated, and you know some clubs are just selling clubs. It's as simple as that. It's part mm-hmm. of the business model, um, and you know having the money sloshing around the system helps. So the big clubs do help the little clubs to a certain extent. I mean, in this market. They're going to really have their pick and maybe they're going to negotiate slightly lower fees in certain places. But I guess the Bournemouth deal also shows that they still got a decent amount of money for Ake, 40 million. Nobody's saying that's an unfair deal. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's the way the market's going to be. And I think that just stimulating it like we do with other areas of the economy, stimulating the football economy is a bit of what's trying to go on here. And that's why financial fair play is being parked by FIFA for a season but the Man City ruling, the the legal ruling, I think that's a bit of a shake-up that maybe not a lot of people expected. Uh, Cass have sort of maybe, um, you know, softened the impact of financial fair play, which might impact the game for many years to come. But Chelsea, the way Chelsea's funded, Roman Abramovich is a big benefactor of Chelsea. We all know the owner. Um, he's he's taken Chelsea to this uh, level of, of, of sensational success. So um, he's re- really the man at the the heart of whether done or not and he's shown his uh he's shown his love for the club he wants to stay with the club spend and uh, i think that shows commitment to me and um, i think uh chelsea fans are getting very excited and this pod hopefully it will light up with a lot of uh, listens <laughs> back uh, up the money I, truck dan back it up <laughs> uh, roman uh the the consummate international businessman uh, sees the market for what it is which is an opportunity for those with cash to maybe get something on potentially a bargain or a discount in some areas. So, Naz, let's talk about some of these things that are getting Chelsea supporters, uh, us included, uh, excited. Uh, I think the first one or the one that is on the top of everybody's mind is Kai Havertz, the Leverkusen star who has played in center forward, who's played on the wing, who's played in attacking mid, who has scored boatloads of goals and is seemingly wanting to push his way into the Premier League, into Chelsea, get an opportunity to play with maybe some of his German compatriots in Timo Werner next season, Antonio Rudiger. Where where do you understand that deal to be? Because I think people are kind of freaking out that it hasn't happened as quickly as some of these other deals. But to me, that maybe is more just because there's not a release cause and it's going to be a negotiation because of that. But is there any other thing that maybe Chelsea fans need to be concerned about. Yeah, you're right. It's because there's not a release clause. And I guess, you know, um, we, we, Chelsea is still playing as well, which kind of slows it down a little bit. But yeah, there's no need to be concerned at all. Um, it's just a case of Chelsea spending the money and agreeing a fee. And that's what we're at now. Um, you know, Kai Havertz wants the move. He's, uh, you know, he's chosen Chelsea effectively. That's the only choice. The only choice for him is uh, Leverkusen or Chelsea. So he wants Chelsea. So, you know, it's down to Chelsea to agree a fee with Leverkusen. They they set a high price tag. I think that it will ultimately come down. Um, their price tag is like ninety million pound. Uh, I think it works out about one hundred million euros, even more US. 
dollars. So um, I think that that's 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 the issue there. And Chelsea have got to negotiate down or try to um, as best they can. But he's um, a special talent, and I think it's seen as an opportunity by Chelsea. It's an absolute priority, even though probably you know they'd rather have a centre back of Kai Havertz quality. They probably want a twenty-one year old centre back to come in and fix the defensive problems. But he is so good that they just have to go for it. It's like when they signed Eden Hazard. It'll be one of those real impactful signings. Everyone in German football knows that he is the man. I mean, maybe even more so than Timo Werner. He's just a superstar in the making and probably already is a superstar. So um, I think that's the way Chelsea see this situation and they see it as like a clear run. And, and you know, if there was competition, maybe Chelsea would have to act quicker. Um, and like you said, release clauses, great, easy. You get the deal done pretty quickly and that's what they've done. Um, but for the next targets Chelsea are going to go for that we're going to talk about in this pod, including Kai Havertz, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be longer and it might be ugly at times, but that's that's what happens when you do a great big transfer is that we've seen it yeah. time and again. They're sagas. They call them transfer sagas. They're not join. So um, it's a case <laughs> of that, really. Um, so yeah, I think I think Chelsea fans should be excited. Stay optimistic. Wait for the process to go through. Um, it might be frustrating at times. It might be briefings that are negative, but ultimately, I can see this deal. I think that it will get done. Um, I'm very positive about that. So you're telling me, just because I signed Kai Havertz on FIFA Career Mode, that it's not. <laughs> as easy as that because my negotiating skills were top tier. I delegated it and it just came back as like a 70 million pound transfer. So I was, I was you, feeling you pretty hit the good. the X button three times? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, it, it is interesting, Naz, because like, obviously, you know, this is all kind of framed in the world of the most expensive transfer Chelsea's ever made, right? Because it, it will effectively be that, you know, unless it comes yeah. in under whatever Kepa's uh, final number was. It, I think I I would just want to say like it's a lot of money, <laughs> you know. Like it, even even if Chelsea are flush with cash and have a bunch of reserve funds from the last couple of years and not spending, you still have to be shrewd about how you spend. You're not just going to go out and say like, hey, I want that player, whatever it costs, because every negotiation that you do uh, impacts future negotiations. If you if other teams know that you can be had from a negotiating standpoint, they're going to come in at you know three four x times valuations of players and so I, I do want to throw that out because it, it it makes an impact on how you go after future talent yeah exactly and I think the reason that the fee will come down I mean if Chelsea wanted it done they would have just paid the bigger money and it would be done by now but that's not how Chelsea operate Chelsea remember Chelsea's business and Marina um, you know fights for every million literally every million I've, I've heard about deals that are like Chelsea trying to sell a player He's maybe, you know, the, the buying club thinks he's worth about three million. He's never going to play for Chelsea in a million years. Absolutely no chance. But they're still asking for 10 million. They still want 10 million. And it seems like a crazy number for that buying club. You know, it might be a Dutch club. Um, I think Marco van Ginkel was in a situation like this with PSV Eindhoven. And um, yeah, they they were getting quoted um, 10 million. And, and to them, that was an absolutely crazy fee. But Chelsea didn't move on it. And, and that's the way they work in buying players as well. They... They uh, will try and drive the price down. But I think the the reason why I'll be optimistic about the price coming down is that can Leverkusen sell Havertz for the same amount of money next summer? No. Chelsea is an opportunity for Leverkusen. Um, Chelsea is the best option for Leverkusen. Ultimately, they want to do a deal because this is the way they're going to get the most money for Havertz. So, um, yeah, I think that you know if there was competition, it might drive the price up, but there's not. 
and then this summer is probably the best time to sell somebody like him so um that's why I'm so confident that Steele will get done in a decent way as well for Chelsea. Yeah, it feels like the the Venn diagram of overlapping kind of interest is uh, starting to move where they're basically one circle for Leverkusen and for Chelsea. You know, talking though about how he comes into the squad, how, how important do you think a transfer like this, of this caliber of this individual is for taking Chelsea and upgrading Chelsea's talent for the next season as because I think there's that question is like why are Chelsea going after Havertz and we have to go fix the defense and we'll talk about a couple of those defenders maybe that we're targeting shortly but I think people are concerned that we're going after Havertz and we're going to spend all this money here when we've got other glaring problems is this more you just have to go for the player because he's available or there actually is a, a need that he is going to plug and fill immediately. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there is a need actually. It's a kind of strange one um, because, you know, attacking midfielders, Chelsea pretty decent. I think Mount, we, we've all think had a really good season. Some people say, I saw Matt Law, um, the Telegraph writer, he said that he was the, his player of the season. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, it's not a desperate need. Havertz might step in his shoes a little bit. Um, he can play in the probably, you know, say Chelsea play the front three, can play in the front three, can play in central midfield in a in a three-man midfield, probably not a two-man midfield. Um, and he could play striker at a push, probably false nine type thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's where Havertz fits. And he's a great goal scorer from midfield. He's elegant is the word that people always use for him. And he's very quick as well. Um, you know, it's strange to see a central midfielder who has speed as his attribute, but he can run in behind defences. Um, people compare him to Michael Balak and uh, Meza Ozil, which is strange because those two players are very different. But it just shows you what a unique package of a footballer Kai Havertz is. He's got immense technical ability. He's a finisher. And he's also powerful. He's quick and tall. Um, this guy has it all. He's also a good-looking lad. So I'm like, man, is there anything you can't do? 21 <laughs> years old, humble kid as well, works very hard. Um, you bring that German mentality. There'll be a few Germans in the Chelsea squad next season. Um, he ticks absolutely every box. As a central midfielder, as a potential Chelsea squad man. Um, and yeah, I think that um, it's just a unique opportunity, I think. Um, Chelsea... Um, this is the kind of player that literally every club in Europe would want. And um, yeah. this is why Chelsea want him. Um, I think Real Madrid really want him. Bayern Munich really want him. We know that, but they just can't get in there. They can't afford it. Um, so Chelsea need to act now as well. So that's why this transfer will happen. They can't wait. They have to act now just to make sure there's no competition. Havertz really wants to move because he wants to take his game to the next level. And he sees the Premier League and Chelsea as that spot where he can do that because he knows that Leverkusen can only take him so far. Right. So another transfer that we have been linked with is actually bringing someone back. Someone who was with the Chelsea Academy up to the age of 14, gets released, goes over to West Ham, ends up being their player of the season, is the captain in almost every match where Mark Noble is not on the pitch. Declan Rice is being scouted by Chelsea for a return to Stamford Bridge. Seemingly very excited about the possibility, Naz. What's your take on this transfer? Um, maybe why it would happen and, and how likely do you think it, it is to potentially happen? Well, I think that every transfer is less likely than the Havertz one, so that's that's where we're at. But um, Rice is a massively, massively key target for Chelsea. Um, I, I think that initially... 
a lot of the noise we were getting, um, you know, the collective journalist community was quite sort of negative Chelsea's chances, but it's starting to get increasingly um, positive just because West Ham do have to sell and they really don't want to sell Rice because Rice is their best player um, and he's just gone from strength to strength this season. Um, you know, you look at all his attributes, um, he's been phenomenal. If you kept half an eye on West Ham, he's been phenomenal. And in the games against Chelsea, he has been sensational. West Ham have beaten Chelsea twice this season. Sorry to be deliver the painful news, but but Rice, Rice and Antonio in those games are basically single-handedly fucking hold them over the line and stuff like that. So um, it's been big, really. So, yeah, Rice is um, a big target. Um, I know, you know, he's um, he's he's got a lot of love for Chelsea. He's got Mount, you know, as his mate there and stuff like that. Um, right. And maybe they can sell him. Maybe it'll happen later in the window. I see this one. If West Ham don't get to sell their Yarmolenkos, their four nals, the ones they really want to sell, if they don't get rid of these players, then they might be coming to Chelsea and saying, maybe we'll sell them out, maybe we will now, maybe we're open to it, and then that might be the point where they get a deal done. And um, yeah, the only interesting thing is, I'm, I'm not sure if it's to sign him as a centre-back or a central midfielder, that'll be an interesting one to see where they actually play him. I, I mean, I'm sure, like we all think, that Chelsea needs centre-backs, so it could be in there. But I think in a in a back three Rice fits in well, but not in a back four so much. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in that as well because I think he he's, you know, much like Havertz and much like Werner and much like Ziyech, right? There's positional flexibility is is kind of a theme that you're developing if you're if you're looking at Chelsea transfers. That is good and bad, right? You know, I think Chelsea need a top quality center back. They need a top quality goalkeeper. They might need some defensive midfield reinforcements and I, I would certainly see Rice playing there. Um I I'm I'm more intrigued by this than I was three months ago after watching him play since the restart. I think he's certainly shown his quality. Um and you can never have too many leaders on the pitch and he's certainly a leader. I mean that's unquestioned. Uh with you know keeping West Ham up where they were is is no small feat. So yeah, Dan, I, I think I'm I'm getting on board with this more and more. The the interesting thing to me, and you know, we called this out when we were reviewing the FA Cup loss, is that N'Golo Conte missed 50% of the matches last season. And so if you're thinking about wanting to play a back four, you're thinking about wanting to offer the defense someone to play as that defensive mid, Rice seemingly would tick all the boxes. And if you're really concerned about what the long-term future of Angola Conte looks like, and again, I think no one in this podcast uh, or this conversation is wishing Angola Conte leaves anytime soon because we are all fans. We love the way he plays. And just, again, he'll score again. And anytime you get an Angola Conte goal celebration, it is a, a special golden moment. And you just want to package it up and you know save it for a rainy day. But Declan Rice potentially coming in and being able to offer some of that f- positional flexibility you talked about, but maybe being the heir apparent in terms of that defensive mid situation, Naz kind of gives us a, a maybe an interesting wrinkle there because maybe there there is some concern that maybe N'Golo Kante might not have the fitness to go through a 60-game season playing that defensive mid, and the drop-off right now from N'Golo Kante to the next man up at Chelsea is is way too drastic to be competitive. Yeah, you're right. It might be might be the, might be one of the reasons, and and then the set pieces are another reason. Even if he plays in central midfield, he'll still be marking in the box. So that's 
that's another big plus for Chelsea. So those are two factors. I think that if if they sign Rice, maybe it's a case of, and a lot of these are caveated, a lot of these targets, not Havertz, but some of the other ones, are caveated by who can they get out of the door as well, Chelsea, because I think Lampard, when you hear him speak about transfers, a lot of the thing that goes under the radar is is we also selling players is really important for Chelsea. It refreshes the squad. Maybe have a player who doesn't quite fit the system. Um, Lampard's touched upon that. Also, just refreshing the mentality of the squad. Sometimes new blood really helps it. And, and maybe have aging players or players who are just simply not good enough. But all these different reasons are great reasons to get rid of players. Um, and and you know the one I'd still feel in the firing line if if Rice comes in is, is Jorginho. Um, and can Chelsea get rid of Jorginho? Is it going to be easy to raise that money that they spent on him, which is quite a lot? It was around, what was it, around 50 million, 53 million? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Juventus are the ones interested, obviously, the Sari connection, Sari's son, as some uh, Sari haters would call him, um, way too harsh. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that, that's, uh, that, that might be, you know, slightly in Lampard's mind, and I feel like Jorginho is the one that doesn't quite fit at Chelsea. He's not the best fit. Um, I don't think he's a bad player at all. And I think that that's such a weak, um, you know, poor assessment that a lot of people have of Jorginho. But maybe he's just not quite the right kind of player for Chelsea. And um, that's not to say he's not great. Um, so, yeah, Rice, Rice in, Jorginho out could be the way it goes. Um, but, yeah, right now it's not as clear as Kai Havertz in. Kai Havertz in is the main clear uh, transfer that we know about Chelsea right now. I think the, the thing you call out about Jorginho is interesting because it's not just getting him to Juventus because you're thinking about the fact that you have to get his amortized value off of the books. So it's yeah. the transfer fee that you paid for him plus the annual wages. So getting his wages off the books, even through maybe a loan, is going to potentially give Chelsea that flexibility to be able to bring in other individuals where, you know, yes, you're going to have this massive transfer fee in the books over five, six years or whatever, but the wages are just as important to get off the bill too. So, you know, maybe even something like a, a two-year loan, which is, or a three-year loan, which is what we did with Quadrado with Juventus might be something that helps make it easier for Juventus, gets what we need off the books for Chelsea and opens the pathway for someone like Rice coming in. Yeah. When, when I speak about transfers as well, a lot of the agents I've spoken to have said, uh, the key word for this transfer market is creativity. So they've got to be creative with a deal. So there's not many deals as creative as the Quadrado loan to Juventus, which benefited both Chelsea and Juventus. And that's the most important thing with transfers most of the time. All right. So another there's another name that has come up quite frequently because an area of concern that's been highlighted is is really since the era of Ashley Cole. You know, and Azpilicueta has deputized very well as a left back. But there has not been the heir apparent in that area for Chelsea. So you know, we've seen Alonso, who's done really well as a left wing back. But ultimately, Ben Chilwell seems to be the name that keeps on popping up. And with Leicester dropping out of the top four, going into the Europa League, you know, saying previously they didn't want to sell, potentially an £80 million valuation. Naz, what's the attitude on this one? Because Chilwell had a very poor return to form in post-restart. Um a lot of people maybe just don't like the idea of this transfer, but what's your your feeling about this one? I, I know you kind of you know, said that any transfer compared to Havertz is less likely to happen, but what do you think about this one? Yeah, yeah, similar. Um, but yeah, this this one, like you said, when I put out my transfer stories about Chilwell, you get a bit of 
negative reaction sometimes, which is quite interesting. But um, yeah, I think that with the left-back situation as a whole, um, I don't think Lampard, as we can see really um, by his team selections, really fancies Alonso in a back four. Um, maybe even, you know, Alonso's basically just played when it's a wing-back situation, which has been good for him. Um, but Aspie plays there otherwise. And then Emerson isn't even in the picture um, and I don't really see Emerson as a bad player, but he is quite short and Chelsea are already struggling at set pieces. So I wonder if that's part of the, the picture with Emerson. Um, and, and yeah, again, you know, when we talk about signing left backs, what something's got to give. One of them has to leave. And I've heard even Zappa Costa might come back um, because Roma can't afford to keep him alone currently. So that's a concern. Um, well, that's from the past there. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you forgot about that guy. <laughs> Um, so yeah these are some issues I actually think Chelsea's issues are in selling more than buying Um, it's just so hard to find a buying club in this market with COVID and and, and the economic effects but with Chilwell he's 100% the main target and I'm kind of you know, I've been trying to look into some of these other guys that have been linked with Chelsea, Tagliafico, Gusens, Cucurella, uh, yeah, um, and, and there's not really anything moving around those guys. They're absolutely quiet from a Chelsea perspective. They have other interests from other clubs as well. Um, so Chelsea kind of do need to act eventually if they want to get these guys. Um, and yeah, the Chilwell is just the main man and it's just the man Chelsea are completely focused on. And, you know, there's, there's, I'd say there's negatives to all the transfers and the Chilwell negative is he's very expensive. Leicester don't want to sell. Leicester's a rich club. They're not like West Ham. They're not struggling. They're not trying to sell players to prop up in the market. The Europa League was still a decent achievement for them. Their owner's rich. Uh, they've still got that Maguire money burning a hole in their pocket, thinking, what are we going to do with this? Um, and, and Maguire is a sort of example that shows you how much how hard it is to sign from Leicester. I think Chilwell wants to move from everything I've heard as well. Um, so that's that's something that's in Chelsea's favour, but he's not really done anything to act out or act professional. He's been totally a great pro there. Um, and maybe that would help Chelsea if he just sort of said, uh, I'm, I don't want to play, I want to move. All this kind of stuff might sort of, you know, uh, hurt his reputation in the short term, but help the transfer as well. Um, but he's not, I, I don't know if he'd be willing to do that. So um, I think that's the situation we're at. We're at a bit of a sort of Mexican standoff with this one. Um, but I think that um, Chelsea are going to stick at Chilwell for a bit. I think that, you know, when we're talking about transfers in defence, you know, who's done the best with transfers in defence? Liverpool, um, Virgil van Dijk, they kind of stuck out for him for ages and ages. And everyone was saying to Liverpool, why aren't you signing a centre-back? Um, but you can't get Van Dijk, he won't come. Um, and eventually they ended up paying a really high fee and getting the man they wanted and he was a game-changer. In a way, maybe Chelsea see Chilwell as that. Um, and, and I'm kind of in two minds if they're going to um, sort of blink and sign a Tagliafico, who I'd probably say is available at a really good price. Um, I think he's available around 22 million. They're either going to blink or they're going to stick on the Chilwell path. And right now they're totally on the Chilwell path. There's no veering from it. But Tagliafico is available. They could go in. If a club makes a bid for Tagliafico, Chelsea might say, look, we've got to go in as well. Say uh, Atletico Madrid want him. Say Atletico Madrid agree a fee, then Chelsea could go in and agree a fee alongside that. And, and maybe that's the point where they go and do a deal like that. Um, but certainly Chilwell's number one. Um, that that's kind of the point though that I wanted to make now is right is you're talking about you know 80 million for Havertz you're talking about 50 to 60 million for Rice you're talking about 60 some million for for uh, Chilwell 
that's that's not a realistic like you're not bringing in 500 million pounds worth of transfers in one window right so like one the numbers have to add up and that the chillwell numbers always stuck out to me as a, as an absurd number especially as you looked around it like your tyrannies and your robertsons of the world that were very low transfers very high upside players second piece is chillwell's not been very good <laughs> i mean genuine his form's been pretty bad and Obviously, you know, the injury at the end of the season didn't help or anything, but I, I, I've I, always struggled with this one because I think outside of the first, you know, kind of 40% of the season, he didn't really do the business. Yeah, well, I think the problem is Maguire's was worth a lot to Leicester and he definitely wasn't worth $8 million that Man United paid for him. And Chilwell similarly is worth a lot to Leicester and it's the same sort of process that's kept Wilfred Zaha at Palace because he could have moved on to a big club a long time ago, but they... They just see him as worth so much money that nobody's willing to pay. And maybe Chilwell's stuck in this place. Um, but I think that with Chelsea, they're trying to wait it out, see what they're going to do. And maybe, uh, you know, with the other transfers, the other players they've been linked with, there's a risk with all of them. They'd be stepping up in level big time. I mean, Chilwell, at least he's played in the Premier League. At least he's played in big games against Man City, Liverpool, etc. Um, so that's really in his favour. He's played for England as well. He fits in the culture of the league. Um, he would fit in the squad. Great age. Um, you know, there'll be seller value, even if he's a bit of a failure, Chelsea will probably get 30 million for him easily. So there's an element of, you know, advantage there. If you sign Tagliafico, there's no seller value. So even though it's a great fee, there's no seller value. And he's stepping up in league. Yes, he's an Argentinian international, but he's stepping up in league. Um, and we're still not sure if he could make that step. Um, I think with him, he's also quite good in the air and quite athletic. So that might be in his favour to adapt to the league and, and sort of help the set-piece problem, which a left-back can do just as well as even a, you know, a left-back or a midfielder could help the set-piece problem. Um, yep. So you've got to think about it like that. And then the other ones they're linked with as well, Tellers is an attacking fullback in the Portuguese league. It's completely different. It's absolutely not comparable. Playing for Getafe, Cucurella, completely different. Um, Goosens is at least at Atalanta, but their system is completely unique. So there's a question mark on every single player that Chelsea are linked with. And, and with Chilwell, he's unbelievably expensive, but there's slightly less question marks for me. And maybe that's why uh, Frank Lampard would look to him. One player, you know, as we kind of talk about, uh, you know, will he come back to Chelsea? Because there's been a lot of conversation over the past few weeks and also a radio interview from his agent saying about five offers on the table. And it's like the five envelopes and they all have an offer for one William. <laughs> potentially going to Arsenal, going to the MLS, coming back to Chelsea. There's a lot of conversation around what he'll do next, uh, other than making sure that he still has a great dining establishment in London with his buddy David Luiz. Naz, what's your sense on where the Brazilian ends up now that he has uh, potentially played his last game for Chelsea? The only thing I can sort of give you is insight. I think you've just summed it up there great. But the only thing I give is insight is the restaurant is a big deal, right? Uh, he loves London. Uh, it's not the restaurant. It's his family. His family loves London and he's so settled in the city and he loves Chelsea so much as well. The two biggest factors for this deal is London is going to be number one. So let's forget about the MLS. He's not going to step down in level. He's the most valuable free transfer on the market. Um, you know, uh, I think the other two clubs are supposed to be Inter and Barca are in for him, but are they going to offer him three-year deals? Three-year deal is the second biggest factor in this uh, arrangement. He will probably go to a London club first, one that's offering him a three-year deal. If those two tally up, then he's going to go to that club. 
Um, and I think that the reason why the agent didn't name the other two clubs was because they were London clubs and they were Arsenal and Tottenham. And I think that that's where we're at with Willian. Um, and I think that Chelsea would be his number one, but they've stuck so firm on a two-year deal. I don't think, like uh, Nick was saying, you know, they don't want to set precedents of giving three-year deals and then the next time a 30-year-old comes along wanting a deal, they're going to ask for a three-year deal. So I think that he's probably going to leave. Um, and I think that the reason is the three-year deal. So maybe a three-year deal in Arsenal, he'll have a great season next year but then maybe he'll decline. So that's that's the gamble Chelsea are going to play. And, and it's a gamble for everyone involved in this transfer. So really interesting situation. Great player. Um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the dynamics of the situation. And we don't know what's going to happen yet. I think that he's going to wait until after the Champions League game. I think it was a slip of the tongue for the agents to say after the FA Cup final and decide. I think he's a consummate pro, as Lampard's been saying, and he's waiting until after the, after the Champions League and he's done his fixtures. So... I guess, Nick, knowing that, what's going to hurt more in terms of where he goes? What would impact your opinion more, going to Arsenal or going to Tottenham? Oh, God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think Arsenal are favourites because they've got that relationship with the agent as well. So maybe mm-hmm. I'd put them as favourites. Well, I, I hate them more personally. So <laughs> I, I think Arsenal would hurt. But seeing him with Jose again would be, that'd be tough to swallow for sure. Um my hope was that he goes to the MLS. I think he would be unbelievable for the league, um, especially a league that is on the up and up. So um, MLS is my choice, Dan. Thanks. <laughs> Inter, nice, uh, Inter nice Miami dodge. struggling, though. I think Inter Miami is struggling, right? <laughs> Beckham oh, definitely they, wants him to go. They could use a forward. <laughs> he would kill it in Miami, too, just like culturally. Yeah. Like when we interviewed yeah. him a couple of years ago, he, he talked about how he loved Florida and. You know, I got this. I got the sense that MLS could be a thing that that was on his radar. But yeah, it was. It, it's interesting that 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 popped up right now because Inter Miami have not scored any goals this year, so he yeah. would he'd be like a top value player. Uh, MLS is good, but not yet. I think that's the situation. Bit like Sesco when he left Chelsea as well. So one of the other uh, hot topics is what happens now with uh, another a, another international a spanish international in kepa Aritha Balaga, who has been enjoying more of the bench this season than he saw last season under sari and has seen a 38 year old argentinian willie caballero come in and be the starting goalkeeper um after a little bit of a regression of form what's your sense on if Chelsea can move Kepa, even if it's on loan, because we talked, we've talked about you know how difficult moving players is going to be this window, and if they are considering a backup, it it, it doesn't seem very likely or a replacement. It doesn't seem likely like someone that like Oblock makes sense financially. Like that, that doesn't make sense at all. But maybe some of these other names that are floating out there about who Chelsea might be circling at the moment. Yeah, I think Chelsea have always liked Oblak, so he's always been on the club's radar. I think they were there's there's quite heavy rumours, and I didn't verify them at the time, but I know Chelsea really like Oblak now. But there's heavy rumours that they wanted him before they signed Kepper, and they also wanted Allison as well, and they, and they end up with Kepper. Um, Kepper has been very very bad this season. I mean, we've all seen it. I mean, by the eye, we, by the untrained eye, we can see it. And goalkeeping is a strange beast, and it's very psychological, and the data doesn't always tell a full story um but i think that you know i think that it is true that kepper's really struggled his save percentage is low um what else you know he's he's not been good on set plays we've seen that as plenty of examples and that i think yeah. 
he's a big problem with set pieces as well. Um, so Chelsea could get rid of Pepper for a reasonable fee. I think they would, but I think when you're talking about a reasonable fee in in what Marina Granovskaya's mind would be, I think that the 50 million that somebody quoted would probably be about right. I think that that's around the level, and that is a huge fee. For any club in world football, I mean, Leroy Sane went for less than that to buy Munich. So we're talking an obscene amount of money. And this guy has performed worse than any other Premier League goalkeeper this season. So if you're talking Ben Foster is available on a free transfer, you're probably going to go with him rather than uh, Kepa Rizabalaga. So uh, that's where we're at with Kepa. He's, he's almost like an unsellable player. And I kind of wrote that in my pieces. Um, I think that um, that's going to be an issue. There is some interest on loan but it would take a huge amount of loss for Chelsea to accept that. Um, and they might just go for that anyway. They might just say, look, we're going to have to make a loss. But it's, it's, it's such a difficult one, really. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do with the goalkeeper. Um, there's no clarity. Nobody's really got a solid line on them signing a new goalkeeper. I think Nick Pope is not a realistic target. He's going to be very expensive, doesn't play the right kind of football at Burnley that he can play at Chelsea. You do no. Chelsea are a possession team. Let's they've not changed under Lampard. They're still a possession team. Nick Pope's not a keeper. Um Andre Onana is probably the most realistic target and you could see them trying to sign him. But yeah, like we said, players from the Dutch League, there's a question mark on that as well. Um, but he's available at a reasonable fee. Um, so yeah, I think that that's where we're at. This Dean Henderson transfer rumor as well doesn't seem realistic to me at all. Um, he, Chelsea could sign him, but they're going to have to sign him for a Kepa-like fee, and they've got a Kepa-like problem on their hand again uh, because you don't want to sign a young goalkeeper who's not proven himself, and he comes in and, and he's, he's he's essentially in the Kepa trap where Kepa's a better keeper than he's showing as well. Let's be honest, um, Kepa did better last year, if you can remember that far back. So um, something's not right there. Confidence has gone. Um, you know, I think that also, you know, transfer fee talks got to his head. Maybe even Lampard's style of play isn't as good for him as, as what Sarri did. So um, I think that, you know, the defence have been vulnerable as well. So all these factors have played into a perfect storm where this keeper, who is a talented goalkeeper, has just turned into possibly the worst in the league and that is a big thing to say and it's really sad to see and it's a really hard problem and I think maybe that Chelsea fans are going to have to be accepting that some problems will be fixable for Chelsea in this transfer market with the amount of money that Chelsea have got and with the ambition they've got but not every problem is going to be fixable and this one might be the hardest of all. So a hundred million plus for All Black is off the table you're saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 a bad situation. He has five years left on his deal, too. I mean, so there's no leverage at all whatsoever. Um, what might be best for him is is the loan situation, you know, just to maybe have a change of scenery, reset his mind a little bit, and maybe see if he comes back a different keeper than he is right now. But it's clear that the environment's not working for him, like, yeah. or that he's not working hard enough to make it in the environment. So I don't know what to do with that. I think the loan thing you said is right as well. Chelsea need a way of him getting his value back. So maybe it's a case of he plays next season and he's not great, but he's not as bad and his value recovers a little bit. Or maybe he goes on loan and does pretty well and his value recovers pretty well. But it's never going to be 72 million ever again. This is the only time he's going to pay, be worth 72 million. So, yeah, it's an interesting one how Chelsea handle this. And Chelsea rarely accepts a big loss on players. 
Um, usually they get them out of the door these days relatively easily, but this one yeah. might be the, the first one where they have to go a bit against their typical culture and accept the accept the loss. Yeah, um, it, so it sounds like to me, from what we're kind of talking about, is there's a couple ways that this might happen in full for Chelsea. One, we're, we're most likely looking at not looking at a Nick Pope, a Dean Henderson, an Oblock. So we should just take those type of goalkeepers off the table. It sounds like the goalkeepers in the range of 20 to 35 million pounds at like a maximum is probably what Chelsea have earmarked with the, the Onana potential, uh, you know, uh, tall uh, plays in a possession based team. So, you know, it's going to potentially plug and play a little bit more easily, even if there's the concerns around uh, play style, but Kepa's real solution is how did Chelsea return value to his number? What is a, you know, what his magical transfer number would be so that we can, get out of this as cleanly as possible. And I, I guess if it's not alone, is it maybe trying to bring someone in like an Onana or like a Foster who's going to play the one and maybe Kepa plays relatively like cut minutes or things to try to build his value back up like when the market stabilizes next season? Um, because it, it just doesn't seem realistic that we're going to be able to move that much of a of a massive contract in this window yeah and i think that covid's really hit the market as well so maybe next summer there'll be a bit of a recovery and teams will be re- willing to spend a little bit more than they are this summer so that's a, another factor we kept on i think like you said that's probably a good scenario that might play out is that they do sign a goalkeeper but they also keep Kepper. And I know that Onan is willing to fight for his place. And, you know, he'd probably back himself to beat Kepper in a 1v1 situation. But the way Lampard could play it, and some clubs do this, um, a lot of clubs have great number ones and great number twos, and they just play them off each other really, really hard. And it'll, it'll be a bit of a fight. And whoever wins a fight keeps a shirt. And then you look at solving the problem. I mean, remember when Courtois and, and Czech fought for the spots as well? That was exactly what happened. And um, Czech, uh, Czech lost out. Chelsea's legendary goalkeeper um, and and that might be the way they play it next season that's probably the most likely outcome I feel as well so I'm not sure what's going to happen there but I feel like you know they're focusing on Havertz now and I feel like they're focusing on Chilwell next um, and I think that maybe this will be the prob- the third one that they look at so we've talked a lot about everybody maybe coming in. Is there anyone else who might be on the way out players that you think are, are kind of maybe close to securing, you know, either that loan or that sale. I know you talked about the, the need in this market to be creative, but what's your sense on maybe some of the first players that we'll see make a move on from Chelsea uh, now that the season is really getting close to wrapping fully? Yeah. I don't think anyone's close. Um, but I think that, you know, that, that, Chelsea might use these players as swap deals as well. So it'd be interesting to see. There's there's some talk that Rice, Chelsea have been trying to offer like Ross Barkley and um and and Mitchie Batshuayi in a swap. Um certainly Mitchie would be right for a swap and he's pretty much comes to the end of the road of his Chelsea career, um, yeah. one way or another. It'd be interesting to see what happens there. Um, you know, Barkley maybe with that is 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 an outsider to go, but he has been quite good at the end of the season. Um, I still think Giroud's got a slight chance of leaving. Um, that could happen. Um, I think he'd probably stay, but he could leave uh, for a fee, which is a great thing Great thing that Chelsea did to sort of keep hold of him for another season because um, he's got him over the line in this top four race and now they can sell him or, or keep him for next season. Great form. Um, so, yeah, those guys, obviously the left-backs, both I think that Chelsea would listen to decent offers for. But again... 
we're talking decent money for um, Emerson's probably, I think he costs Chelsea 24 million and, and Alonso costs 23 million. So that's the sort of fees we're talking about for these guys. And in the COVID market, it's quite a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, I think that those are the main ones. The centre-backs, there's a question mark on the centre-backs as well. Rudiger, Christensen, even Zuma, that there's a slight chance that one of those could leave if there's a top centre-back comes available and Chelsea go in. I don't think they will, but they could. There's, there's definitely a question mark, especially with Christensen and Rudiger, because they've got less than two years left on the deal. Um, so there's a potential there. Uh, Jorginho, Juve, that something could happen there. Um, that's probably it. I think I've not forgotten anyone else in the squad, but there's a lot of question marks, but not a lot of solid, um, really solid, close interest in the funny thing is with Chelsea as well is that the players want to play for Chelsea. Even these guys who have been struggling a little bit, they want to be part of the ride of the success story. These Kai Havertz signings, these Timo Werner signings um, are really exciting the squad. And, and you saw it with Werner on the pitch at the FA Cup final. It was like the uh, popular girl at school. All the guys wanted to talk to her. Um, <laughs> and then Mitchie Batshuayi. <laughs> We stood at the back. Nobody wanted to talk to him. So that's kind of the way Chelsea is right now. Everyone wants to be at Chelsea, including new signings, but also the current players who some people, maybe on social media, regard as Deadwood. They still want to be at Chelsea. They want to prove people wrong. I think we, we haven't even talked about the idea that there's all these youngsters who have been out on loan. You think about like the Conor Gallagher's of, of the world who you know, had a, a really strong season uh, in the championship and uh, was trying to help get Swansea promoted. And, and that didn't come to fruition uh, along with Mark, uh, Mark Gahey. But there's, I think maybe with the, the five substitution rule staying in effect in the next season, like you're going to need some squad depth and there might be some additional youngsters, uh, you know, that come into the fold next season too, that we're not even thinking about because we're so fixated on these top names in the international market, but we also have to kind of look in and maybe a little bit more insular around like that homegrown talent that's going to be coming up through the ranks next season too. Yeah. That's a good shout. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We, we saw Broja in, in a very limited appearance. You know, he's someone who maybe there's a loan in his future, maybe not, but he was someone kind of who, who's been backed at the academy level to do really well. Lewis Bate, maybe with all the injuries, he gets an opportunity to make the field against Byron, which would be an amazing a senior appearance for for a Chelsea player. Uh, yeah, who's who's so, going to play that game? We have no earthly idea. <laughs> uh, not your copy and paste starting eleven, that's for sure. <laughs> no. Uh, well, Naz, it has been fun. The transfer market is open. Uh, we know that everyone should be following you if they're not to keep up to date on what's happening because you always break it super super quick and uh, keep us all honest in what we should expect too uh which is nice you're not uh hyping up things that are never going to happen so uh thank you for that and your contribution to our community also for your friendship too uh it's been been great to chat with you again and see you yeah it's great yeah it's great to speak to you both as always and yeah i think that you know my job's an absolute pleasure and uh i just try my best to give you guys the uh facts so you can make your opinions <laughs> there it is uh nick you know you're you're, you're here anyway so yeah. Thanks, I guess. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. Uh, no, Brandon, again, he's having a great birthday, so we, we you know, let him off the hook. But until next time, Chelsea fans, uh, we'll be at you post-Byron. Keep the blue flag flying high.